You're listening to the Cornerstone Family Worship Center podcast. Making disciples, building community, and growing together in faith and love. seven-point message today. Now, that's what they teach you in homiletics and uh, uh, school, in preaching school. You have three points, five points, or seven points to a sermon, you know. I don't always do that. I'm more like buckshot, you know. But uh, I like to have somewhat of an order to my message, at least, and that God has something that he's put upon my heart. And today, we're just going to look at seven things that the book of Hebrews tells us that we are to do as Christians. Now, it might sound like a vegetarian meal because there's a lot of lettuce in here. Let us do this. Let us do that. Amen? So we're going to go right in. I'll have them all in order for you, and we'll follow them along. But let's pray before we go to the word of the Lord today. Lord, we thank you for your word that gives life to us, Lord. We thank you that we can hold on to each and every precious promise of yours. Lord, you're not a man that you should lie, and your promises are yes and amen. We can have confidence in that. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing upon this message today that you'll bring things to our mind and quicken things to our spirit, Lord God, uh, to remind us of who you are and what you've said what you've declared, and what we can claim as the promises of God. In Jesus' name today, amen. And the church shouted, amen. amen. Hey, all right. All right, so the first one that we're going to go to this morning is Hebrews chapter 4, where it says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of. Now that seems like a tough way to start out a message. Uh, let us fear, you know. Oh my, the first thing that comes out of the preacher's mouth this morning is let us fear. But the Hebrew writer is not talking about us cowering in fear before our God. Because there was one point in time we should have done that because of the lives that we were living. But he has welcomed us and he has brought us into fellowship with him. And no longer do we have to have that kind of fear. But we still need to honor and respect the Lord. And we ought to be a little bit fearful of getting out of his uh, hand or getting into disobedience. I fear that. I fear that in my life that I would ever disobey the Lord. That I would ever displease my God. I have a fear of ever doing that. I don't want that. And I think that should be a natural kind of a thing in all of us as Christian people. Amen? But it says, let us therefore fear lest that promise being left to us uh, of entering into his rest. How many of you have entered into his rest already? Amen. If you're born again Christian, you have entered into his rest. Amen. 
but, but we don't just, uh, as one old preacher said, uh, cock our halo off to the side in pride and, and say we've arrived. Uh, there's still something that I'm looking forward to. I'm in his rest right now, but there's a rest that I've not yet even experienced. There's a time that's going to happen that I'm going to look into the face of my Savior. And he is going to say to me, enter in. I, that's what I'm trusting, that he's going to say it to me, and I trust that he'll say it to you. Enter in, good and faithful servant, into the joy of your Lord. Amen. And so there is a rest that we're looking forward to, but he's referring here to those Israelites uh, who came out of Egypt with Moses. And when we look at that, that is the grace of God upon those people as he released them. God's grace, some people say, well, God's grace is in the New Testament, but it's not. No, God's, God is a God of grace, always has been. And his grace was upon them to lead them out through this man called Moses, who he anointed. But the Israelites, many of them who came out of that with Moses, because of their unbelief, were not able to enter in to the promised land that God promised them. Amen. And many of them died in the wilderness and were not able to enter in. So if you back up, I don't think, I don't know if we have this one on the uh, slide or not, but if you back up to chapter 3, verse 12, in, it's in this context that, that this passage that we just read came, comes from. There he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. Everyone say evil heart. Of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The Hebrew writer, I happen to believe it was Paul, but most theologians refer to him as the Hebrew writer because there are some doubts whether Paul himself wrote this or not. So I'll do the same, the Hebrew writer, amen? But the Hebrew writer is not addressing this letter to unbelieving people. He's addressing it to Christians. This is why I can't, I, I can't go along with some of the flaky grace that is being preached today saying that we have, no, we have no need of repentance because all of our sins are under the blood. Listen, folks, if I sin against the Lord today, I, I trust that I'm going to be quick to repent of it and to get before the Lord and say, Lord, I am sorry, I don't want, I don't want to offend you ever. Now, that doesn't mean that God was ready to squash me as a bug just as soon as I did that because his grace is greater than that. I understand that. But I also understand that he wants us to keep short accounts with him. He wants that flow between me and him to be open constantly. And the way to do that is to refrain from sin and keep sin out of my life. Sin will block up and stop the flow of God in my life. And I realize that, and therefore, I fear stepping out of line with God in that sense. Amen. So he says, take heed uh, that we uh, not depart and that we have that evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief, folks, is an evil heart. When we're given over to unbelief, we're allowing our heart to become evil. Why? Because God gave to us a promise, and we're looking at him right in his face saying, I don't believe it. That's not a good thing. 
And so that would be an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Some people believe that you cannot possibly depart from the living God. Well, why in the world is a verse of scripture like this even in the Bible if it were not a possibility? Amen. The next chunk of lettuce that we're going to chew on today is in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Who's talking to me? <laughs> Lady, turn that thing off, will you? She says, I can't stop it, I can't stop it. Here, Gary, here. You're a, you're a techie, turn that thing off, will you? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's got to be my own wife, right? <laughs> That's okay. I was leading a prayer meeting one, one night and getting ready to start, and my phone went off. You know, of all people, the pastor's phone goes off. It happens. It happens. Amen. So Hebrew 4, Hebrews 4.11 says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Again, referring back to what those Israelites had done. They had fallen into unbelief. Unbelief will move you away from the blessing of the Lord. Amen. That's why when we just stood here a few moments ago and I said, uh, according to the scriptures, we bring our tithes and offerings into the house of the Lord. Why do we do that? We do that, number one, because we love the Lord. But we had to hear somewhere along the line that this is one of the ways to obey God. Amen? So we do that in obedience. So uh, we don't want to follow the example of unbelief, uh, but he says, let us labor again. And, and once again, we are already in, a, in the rest of the Lord in, in a certain sense already. Done deal. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross. Amen. But the apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul the apostle was still pressing towards the mark. He wasn't just putting his brain or his spirit man in neutral saying, I have arrived. No, I'm pressing towards the mark. That doesn't mean that he's trying to work his salvation. Salvation is a free gift from God. Amen? But he's working to maintain that relationship with the Lord. He is staying in that place and he's pressing towards that which God has designed and carved out for him. Amen. Are you pressing towards that mark today? Are you pressing toward the mark of the high call of God in your life? Amen. That's what I want to do. Amen. <clears throat> the next one is in Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 16, and I know that some of you, as soon as you turn there, or if you look on the screen, I know that some of you in your, in your Bible have this one underlined and maybe memorized, amen? Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love that passage of Scripture. I love all the word of God, but there are some that just kind of jump out at you and you want to grab a hold of that and say, you know what? I'm going to live by that scripture. I'm going to hold that scripture. I'm going to believe that scripture. Amen. And, and apply it to my heart. Let us therefore come boldly. Hallelujah. 
I do not come before the presence of the Lord arrogantly. I do not come before the presence of the Lord demanding anything of him. I come before the Lord humbly, humbly, reverently before the Lord. But I come with a great confidence, boldness, boldness. You know, when you're thinking of a king, because this is what it's talking about, coming to the throne of grace. Who sits on a throne? A king sits on a throne. And many times the subjects of the king or the people that would come before the king had to back up towards him. They couldn't just come and walk into the king's room and say, hey, king, I got something I want to talk to you about. You know, they had to, they had to be summons. They had to back up towards him. And he had to hold out his scepter to them. And if he held his scepter out to them, that meant that he accepted their presence and come on and tell me what you need to tell me. And they would touch that scepter and they would be accepted of the king. You, if you are a Christian, have an open door policy with the king above all kings. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he says to you and me, come into my throne room any old time you want to. Come with confidence. Come boldly unto the presence of the Lord. Come boldly before that throne of grace. Amen. God, God is always waiting to hear from us. Isn't that amazing? He's waiting for us to come in and to have fellowship with him. That's another thing. Fellowship with a king. You know, again, if you think in, in worldly terms, you would come before the king. If he did accept you, you would present your case or say something to him, and then out the door you'd go, and the next person would come in. You're not going to hang out with the king. But our king says, come and hang out with me. Come on into my presence. Stay for a while. As a matter of fact, he probably would like it if we did. Amen. I, I love what, uh, it's always stuck in my head, uh, what E.M. Bounds said about us uh, approaching God uh, in prayer, that we're, sometimes we're like little children ringing the doorbell and running. We come into his presence, we get a whole, you know, we come and we say, hey, Lord, I'm here, and I'm here to worship you, and you know, da, da, and in five minutes, we're gone. You know, about the time the presence of the Lord begins to manifest in that closet or wherever it is that we are, we're, we're up and running off to something else. How many of you know that God would love to have you stay with him for a while? Amen. He'd love to have us just stay in his presence and to enjoy that fellowship with him. Amen. So the writer says, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. That we may obtain mercy. How many of you, I asked you earlier, if you were already at rest in God, how many of you know the mercy of God already? Yes. Amen. God's mercy is on our life. What a wonderful blessing that is. But here he says that we may obtain mercy. You know that mercy that was on your life was there this morning in a new, fresh way. The mercies of the Lord. By morning, by morning, new mercies I see. Amen. That means that whatever happened yesterday and whatever way I may have blown it, it, it doesn't matter to God, his mercy's covering me. 
His mercy is covering me. His grace is covering me. And so he says that we may obtain mercy. There are, there are times that I need more of that mercy than other times. Not on God's part. It's always, it's always there. I need to experience it in my life today. I need to sense his mercy and his grace today. If you've ever stumbled, if you have ever fallen, and I'm, I'm believing that all of us would agree and admit that we have, and when you've ever blown it and you know in your heart that you did something that was displeasing to the Lord, that you want new mercy, you, you, want, to expe- you want to experience that new mercy today at that time. We don't walk by feelings. We don't walk by sight. We walk in faith. Amen? And mercy's there all the time. You know, when I'm not in in the presence of my wife here, uh, I know that I'm still loved by her. Amen? I I don't have to be right here within an arm's length of her to know her love. It's there all the time. She loves me. I love her. Now, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but I'd like to get closer to her sometimes. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the Lord. His mercy covers you always. But there are times that you like to press in and know that mercy in a more intimate way in your life at that time. There are times we need it, folks. There are times we need to experience that mercy. And when is it? The rest of that verse says, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In time of need. When When I really need to know that mercy, I'm glad that he reveals it to me. Oh, when I really need to know that uh, because I've stumbled, because I've fallen, because I've blown it, that he's still there to pick me up. I need, sometimes I just need, Lord, I need to know that today. I need to know that today. I need to sense that in my spirit, man, today. I need to grab a hold of this scripture and others just like it to say, this is what God says about me. Amen. It doesn't matter what the devil says about you. It doesn't matter what he says about your past. Remind him of his future. Amen. Remind him of where he's going to go. Amen. My sins are blotted out. My iniquities are past. So many of the Psalms we could just read along with what David said and we say, hey, hey, I know that. Hey, that, oh, that applies to me too. Oh, yes, that's mine too. Amen. Because that's what we have today inside of us. We're not waiting to to die one day just to, you know, uh, pie in the sky when you die, the old phrase. Praise God. I, I like to eat pie while I'm here. <laughs> I, like to, I, I like to know that God's with me now. I like to know that when I stumble and fall, he's there to pick me up just like my dad or, uh, or a father would pick a kid up off of his bicycle when he's trying to learn how to ride it. Amen. The, the girls were learning how to ride their uh, bicycles with their training wheels on it, and, and Gary and I were talking about how, how we as kids, and some of you can relate to this, had to learn. We didn't have any training wheels. 
I, I never knew what a training wheel was on my bike. And, and the first, no helmets. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, you could get on that thing in the, in the early in the morning and ride it until it started to get dark at night and your parents never had to worry about you. We're not living in that day anymore. But Gary and I would reminisce and say about how we first learned to ride the bike. And my first bike that I learned to ride was my cousin's bike, and it was over at his house, and it was in Detroit, one of the Detroit uh, city blocks there. And it, it was so tall that I had to mount the bike from the porch. <laughs> Come on, I see you guys nodding your head. Had to mount the bike from the porch and hope that I wouldn't fall until I got back to the porch. Amen? But just like that dad that's there helping that child to walk or to learn how to ride that bike or whatever, that child falls down, that daddy is right there to pick that child up, brush him off, help him get back on there and say, okay, let's go again. Amen? Gideon, when he was learning how to walk, it was so funny. All kids, you know, when they go through that thing, you know, they're just, Gideon would just stand there. He could stand, man. He was strong enough to stand. But when he, you know, his mom or dad would say, come on, come on, come on. He'd go, <laughs> get down on the ground and crawl. Just didn't have that confidence yet, you know. But as he, as he fall, mom and dad pick him back up. Get, get him going again. Amen. God does that to you in a spiritual sense. Amen. Every time we stumble, every time we fall, Amen. Ah, that's a, that's a beautiful verse of scripture right there. God, your whole word, your whole word is awesome. But I got to tell you, I like that one right there. Amen. Then Hebrews chapter 6. It says there, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ... Now understand something what he's saying here. He's not talking about, not, not in the sense of uh, forsaking the principles of Christ completely, abandoning them. Because the very first principles of Christ that you learned as a Christian, one of the first one was repentance of your sins. That's the very foundation of Christianity. You can't become a Christian without that. Amen? And then after that, we talked about water baptism or being baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Amen? So those were some of the first elements we're learning as we're Christians. But the Hebrew writer says here that leaving those principles of the doctrine of Christ, those early things, he says, let us go on unto perfection. Let us go on unto maturity. Let us mature in Christ. I spoke about this, I think it was last week a little bit, about grow in grace. Growing in grace and in the knowledge of God. Amen? And so it says, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Why? Because we should already be beyond that. We should already know what that is. And of faith toward God. Amen? Those are the basic elements of Christianity. As a matter of fact, you cannot become a Christian without those two. Repentance of our dead works and our sins and faith towards God. That's what salvation requires. Repentance, change of heart, and faith towards God. Amen. Without that, 
we're not going to get into the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how much money you have. doesn't matter what your, uh, what your family tree is like. You could have uh, five preachers in your family. Uh, you know, uh, that's not going to get you into heaven. You can attend church every Sunday of your life from the time that you're just a child. Attending church is not what gets you into heaven. You could even tithe 10% of your income. That will not get you into heaven. Only one thing that can get us into heaven, the blood of Christ. And that's when he said, it is finished, it is done. When we put faith in that, that seals our salvation. Amen. But there's still a whole lot that we need to learn and grow in in Jesus Christ. Do you realize that even right here, right now, I've been, I've been saved for 47 years, but if I somewhere along the line just think that, well, hey, I've been saved 47 years, I know enough now, and I really don't need anything else in my life. You know what? The, the, the moment that I start thinking like that, I'm heading backwards. And you need to believe that. You need to know that. If you think that you came to a place now, I'm cool, I'm good with God, everything's good, and you, and you do not have a desire to grow from where you are, you're, number one, you're going to be marking time right there for a, for a minute, but soon you're going to be going in a backwards motion. Amen. You don't mark time in God's kingdom. You're either growing and going forward or you're heading backwards. Marking time is kind of like my dad used to say when people, uh, he said, uh, people try to have one world in the, uh, one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God, and they're playing it back, back and forth, and one day they're saved, and one day they're back in the bars, and one day they're this, and one. He says uh, they're, they're trying to, uh, trying to ride the fence. He said the only problem with that is that fence is one foot over on the devil's turf. Get what I mean? You're all you're already in his hands. If you're going to play that game, you're already in the devil's hands. Amen. So let us go to maturity. Let us go on to perfection. Uh, let us get deeper into the things of God and learn more of what He has for us. Uh, let us uh, let us do those things that would uh, that would uh, bring us to places of leadership and responsibility in the local church, even. Wow. Really? Yeah, really. You are the body of Christ. And guess what? I'm not the head of this body. He is. And we're all members in particular, and we all have gifts and callings of God. But I'll tell you what, if every, if every part of the body of Christ was functioning in ministry together, every local church would be stronger than it is right now today. If they, if they would all begin to do that, they would be stronger. We would be stronger if each and every part was doing its part. I don't know what your part is. That's for you to seek and, and find out from the Lord what he would have you to do. But trust me, he would have you doing something. I'll say that again in case you didn't hear that. He would have you doing something. We have a nursery in there that people could work in. I, I'm getting a little bit off track here, but I'm going to get off track anyway. We have a nursery on the other side of that wall that you could be a part, part of. You could, you could go in there once a month 
and sit with the children. Well, I don't have any children. I didn't ask you if you had any children. I'd ask you if you would go on the other side of that wall and sit with some. Now, I could do that, and then you can preach. Well, I can't preach. What? Yeah, yeah that's We all have our own gifts, right? We, we all have something that we can contribute to. Amen. I know I'm stepping on some toes right now, but that's okay. Go home and soak them. You'll be all right. I, hey, I'm, I'm saying this to build you up. I'm saying this to let you know God's got something for each and every one of us, and we ought to be growing. We ought to be getting beyond that thing, beyond that thing of just repentance and faith and baptism. We ought to be going into the, the works of the kingdom that he's called us to. Amen. All right, enough of that. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. That goes to that, uh, it's uh, similar to that boldness that we were talking about earlier. Uh, a confidence before God. Let us draw near to the Lord with, with a, a heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, the water of the word of God. Let God's water uh, of his word just wash over your heart and over your life and then be, have our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. You know what? You know what would give someone an evil conscience? falling short of what God would require of us and not repenting of it. Yeah, because that's going to plague your mind until you get it right. Or that's going to mess up your life a little bit until you get it right. So uh, have, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, amen, in full assurance of faith, do you have that full assurance of faith today in your heart? If you don't, you can, you can fix that before you left the building today. Amen. I want to have full assurance. Full assurance in my heart of who, whose I am and who I am. Amen. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. Amen. Without wavering, we are not people who go back and forth. We're not people who try to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. We're not people who waver and who vacillate in our walk with Christ. We're steadfast, we're stable, we're strong, we're walking uprightly with him from week to week, from day to day, from moment to moment. That's how it goes from moment to moment, really, you know, from moment to moment, not from Sunday to Sunday, not from one Christian gathering to the next Christian gathering. Let us hold fast this profession. What profession? We profess to be Christians. We profess to belong to Christ. Let's hold fast to that without wavering and without doubting. Why? Because a Double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Amen? 
So we walk before the Lord with faith and we walk before the Lord with confidence. Amen. And the seventh one and the final one that we have today is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Another passage I love. In church, early on in my Christian life, I, I have enjoyed just soaking on this passage of Scripture, believing it, walking it out in my life, my wife and I as well since once we got married. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love. Now sometimes we provoke each other, don't we? And it's not in love, and it's not towards love. It's just flat out, right? right. We, we provoke each other. Don't we, Mary? Yes, we do. Yeah, she says, yes, I do. Yes, you do. We provoke each other in little ways. <clears throat> but the best provoking that her and I do between us is when we provoke each other unto love. Amen. And the best way for me and you to provoke each other as well is to provoke each other unto love and to good works. Amen. Every time that we have an event or something that we're going to do together as a church, we roll up our sleeves, we all get together. I, I, we, we hosted 30 we hosted 30 homeless people this past year for a whole week in this church. That was scary. It was awful. I, but going into it, did, wasn't it scary? <laughs> scary. Yeah, I mean, like, as the pastor of the church, I'm thinking, okay, how's that going to go? End result was that it went like a well-oiled machine from the beginning to the end. But we opened our doors. And each of you stepped up to do something to make that happen. Sharon's pretty new in our church, but as soon as we started saying what we need, water and this and that, she said, I'll get the water. Man, that was a lot of water <laughs> for a whole week for 30 people, you know. Uh, Brother Don had uh, food catered in, and Walt and Debbie was making sandwiches. And, I, you know, I, forgive me, I can't name all of you guys here. We'll be here all day long. But all of you did something. All of you did something to make it work. And what were we doing in that? We were being provoked unto love and good works. That's what God wants us to do. Provoke each other unto love and good works. And, and going into that thing, I know, you don't even have to tell me, I know that some of your eyebrows went up when I said what we were going to do, and you, and you were like, Really? Some of you said it out loud. <laughs> really? Are you nuts? Are you crazy? You can't do that. We got to have security and we got to have this and we got to have this and we got to have that. Yeah, and meanwhile, while we're getting all that stuff, those people are still homeless out there living on the street. So we jumped in and we pitched in and we did what we could with what we had. And it went well. And I might say, I think we're going to do it again this year. <laughs> Did I see any eyebrows again? Really? What's this going to be, a yearly event? Do you know how many people are homeless yearly 
and from those months between October and May, they're literally living on the streets. Can you imagine doing that? I can't. And I'm certainly glad that we've partnered with a network of churches that do that and keep them for all of those months, each and every week, we keep them off the streets. It's only 30. It's only 30, and there are tens of thousands across this land. But wow, what if all churches got a little glimpse of that, amen? So hey, this is something we can do. And so we provoke each other, and we stretch each other, and we do those things that Christ gives us to do. Amen. I was with, uh, Mary and I were with uh, Denny Nisley. Uh, he was one of the speakers at our conference that we just went to. I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but there was a hurricane or something like that, a tragedy that happened uh, this past year, and we raised $1,000 right here to send to that, to that ministry. And we knew Denny personally, so we knew it was going to good good ground. But he has tractor trailers. I mean, man, he's got a fleet of trucks. They've got uh, buildings that they can pop up in a moment of time. And they just watch for whenever a hurricane's getting ready to come through there. They're ready to go. They've got clearance from the federal government and everything else, and they don't take a dime from the government. They don't take any grants or anything like that. It's all supported by people like you and me. And so when we hear of a need like that, I stand up here or somebody stands up to present that need and to make it known what we're doing. You know, it's, folks, it's not just all about money. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. And we need to understand that. And we raised that $1,000 in a heartbeat. Boom. We became a part of helping those people. They helped rebuild their homes and tear down what needs to be torn down and gutted it and, and everything else. But he, he spoke down there and some of the fantastic phenomenal things they do and he provoked a lot of us ministers that were there into that kind of thing to be able to do that amen let's consider each other to provoke one another unto love and good works and then this next part not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is the Hebrews writer is saying that was the manner of some people, even in that day, they were forsaking the assembly of the Christians, the gathering of Christians, like we're gathering today. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day was he talking about? The day of the Lord. The day when Christ will come back. And more so, we need to gather together. Why? Because there's strength when we gather together. We are his body, as I said before. He's the head. And he wants us to gather together more and more as the day of the Lord approaches. Not less and less. We're living in a day and age right now where it's becoming less and less in the minds of many Christians. I don't need to be in church every Sunday. Oh, I don't really need to be fed this week. Maybe you need to go and feed somebody else. I don't need any encouragement. Everything's going good with me. But maybe somebody else needs your encouragement. Maybe somebody else needs you to be sitting on that pew next to them and say, hey, brother, good to see you in church today. 
Amen. Somebody needs that. Trust me, every Sunday when we come into this place, somebody needs that. And so that's why God says we need each other. I, boy, I'm telling you, it, this is a, uh, a, a, a thing that gets in my craw. There are so many, especially in our day and age right now, I call them maverick Christians. They're by themselves. They think that they're, uh, we just go over here and we just, you know, uh, I don't really need organized religion. I want to tell you something. You go to the book of Acts and you're going to find where organized religion started. If the church isn't organized, it's not going to function properly. And if we don't gather together, draw strength from each other, witness and testify and sing and worship together, pray for one another, the body of Christ is not going to be as strong as it ought to be. And so I, I, I just I have a, uh, I just don't have a whole lot of tolerance for that. And I know and I understand this, folks. People get hurt in churches. And a lot of times when we get hurt in a church, we withdraw and we say, that's it, I'm not going to church anymore. I understand that. And I can even sympathize with that for a while. But that's not God's will for you. God's will for you is to get plugged back into a church. You find a local church doing those kinds of things that identify with you in your heart and you say, you know what, this is what I believe God's called me to and that's really the purpose for joining yourself to a church is God called you, has God called you there? And then it really doesn't make any difference if they do everything the way you think it should be done or not. Did I just say that? I did. I thought that was pretty good preaching, actually. It, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about he. <laughs> it's about him. And if he's called us here, then we get plugged in here and we become a part of what God's doing. Amen. People need to quit looking for reasons to leave their churches and start looking for reasons to stay in this church. Look for reasons to stay in the body of Christ, not to get yourself away from it. And so many people are falling into that trap today. It's not good. It's not good. It's not healthy. And it is in violation of this one passage, and we can find others as well, but this one passage is in violation of this right here because this says we ought to gather the more so as we see Christ's day approaching. I don't know about you, and I don't know how deep you follow prophecies or anything like that, but I happen to believe we're getting pretty darn close to the coming of the Lord. And the more stuff I see go on in the world today, the more I am convinced that we are pressing. We are right at the door. We are right at the door. It's like Jesus has one foot off of his chair already, ready, ready to come, waiting for the Father to give the cue. Go get my children, bring them home. I said I've been saved for 47 years. Back then, it was a pretty rare thing that you would ever see two men walking in a mall holding hands. Almost never. Very rare. Today, you could see that in any, in any mall that you're, that you're in today. And we wonder, how in the world did we get here? I'll tell you, a lot has to do 
with this verse of scripture right here. People abandoning the church. People leaving the church. People not sitting under the word of God from day to day and week to week to be fed what thus saith the Lord says. And so society is shaping the minds of our young people instead of their minds being shaped by godly doctrine, embraces of godly people around them, godly adults speaking into their young lives. Listen, church, this is why you need to be in a church. This is why we need each other, to provoke unto love and to good works. That's all part of this. And it's fallen apart in this day and age that we're living in right now because people have abandoned the church of God. I have, I have one thing. I, I don't know that I've ever read it. I just believe that one time that I was uh, studying, preaching, and it, I believe it just popped into my mind and into my heart. Maybe somebody else has said it, but I've claimed this as my own. When people get away from the order of God, they get away from the God of order. When people get away from the order of God, in other words, marriage is between a man and a woman, that's God's order. That's God's design. When we decide that we want to change that design, we completely abandon God and forsake him altogether because we just get away from his laws, his commandments. And his laws and his commandments are there to bless us, to help us, to keep us healthy, to keep us sound, to keep us whole. And so we abandon that. We say, hey, we've got a better idea. We're not ever going to have a better idea than God's ideas. But when man exalts himself that way, see, Adam and Eve did that right from the get-go, didn't they? God said, don't do, you can have everything that you want here, but don't touch that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan came to Eve and suggested to her, hey, you know, hasn't God told you that, you know? And she said, hey, think I got a better idea on this one. God said this, but we're going this way. And right off the get-go, sin was the curse that came upon the earth. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that you enjoyed eating all of this lettuce today. Let us do these things, amen, and let us not do these things that, that it says that we should not do. Let's stand. Amen. I want to I build my life as a Christian. I want to make my life stronger today as a Christian than it was last week. Amen? And you don't always feel that from week to week, right? We, we don't always know that's happening. As a matter of fact, a lot of times people will come to you and uh, they've come to me and say, Pastor Mike, I just don't feel like I'm growing at all. Are you doing the right things? Are you doing what God says to do? Yes, I am, as much as I know to do. Then you are growing. Trust God. Trust God that you are growing. But then I can ask that same question. I, I, I know of people who, again, over 47 years, believe me, I've seen this hundreds of times. People come and their lives are falling apart, and you say, are you in church? Well, not like I used to. Did you used to be in this mess you're in right now? Oh, no. You mean back when you used to attend church? Oh, or people come to the door and they say they need help from something because they're in financial straits. And we say, in what church do you attend? Well, well, I don't attend a church. Well, maybe you ought to. Amen?
And uh, so people's lives start falling apart when they're just not doing the right thing. A lot of times people come in and say, uh, I'm being attacked by the enemy, this and that, and my finances are in disarray and this and that. Are you, are you tithing regularly? Well not, well, not really. Well, not really. Well, what, what can you say? God lays it out in his word how he'll bless you and, and how those blessings can flow in your life. You know, if you're not going to do right, how can he rebuke the devourer, the one who wants to destroy your life and your family and your home? How can he rebuke that devourer when you're not doing what he said you should do so that he would? Amen.